Here we go. This is Sing Second Sports with John Schofield. Uh, I am your host, along with my co-host, Ward Carroll. Also joining a special guest, Bill Wagner. Many thanks every week, as always, to Chris Cervello for producing. Uh, really exciting show this week. Uh, hope you stick with us for it. We're talking to Vice Admiral Derwood Curtis, um, uh, retired class of 1976, played football uh, for George Welsh back in the day. Um, also, Coach Kenny Neymatololo will tell us a little bit about how he's been handling the pandemic in Hawaii and how he's preparing for the upcoming season. And also talking to midshipman Diego Fago, uh, who is probably or presumably one of the team leaders coming back next year. Fantastic talent, fantastic player. Um, so let, I'll start it off. Uh, Ward, as always, we had a very uh, colorful week, unfortunately, Wags. Uh, couldn't join us for this particular one, uh, but awesome, awesome day on the links at Whiskey Creek last week, and then amazing day yesterday up at Gettysburg, where uh, where your your baby draw was was really shaping and looking good. So, how did you feel about the course? <laughs> tight, tight. Some of those fairways were like trying to land uh, a tomcat um, at night. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was those were some tight fairways. Um, and, and as we described, I think uh, our producer, Chris, has pushed the envelope of how far we're, we're going to drive to play golf. Um, so once we get out of state, um, that's probably the limit. Um, but uh, no, it was a great, another great day. That was a cool facility there. Um, and uh, it's always fun. Tuesdays are for sing second golf outings. And uh, that was another good one to add to the lineup. So we had a, a, a great time there. Yeah, it was awesome. And and for the listeners out there, if if you know of of other good golf tracks that that the Sing Second Sports crew should try out, let us know. Like like Ward said, he prefers to drive at least ninety minutes to get to a good golf course. Um, so anything that's in the tri-state area, I think, is uh, is good. Wags, you were able to you were able to join us uh, last week because you were on furlough. You're back from furlough from the Capital Gazette, which is a conversation for another day, an unfortunate time. And I'm sorry that you guys are having to go through that. But what's it like getting back in the saddle? And do you have any stories kind of in the hopper that you're working on right now? Well, it's basically squeezing two weeks into one because the sports news didn't stop just because I was on furlough and. Sure enough, I came back and was immediately hit with a bunch of breaking news stories. Uh, you're going to see a couple come out in the Capitol this week that I was able to sit on some things and they didn't break elsewhere. But when Tribune Company puts good reporters on furlough, they risk the fact that news will break elsewhere because the uh, people like me are not on top of their beats. They're not able to stay on top of their beats. We're not allowed to do anything related to work. We can't do interviews can't check email, nothing. So yeah, pretty weird. And I have two more weeks of furlough I'm being forced to take. So it's not a good situation. In fact, the last week of furlough is set to begin right before Navy starts football practice. And that's a crucial week. I would be normally doing all sorts of lead up stories saying football practice begins next week. Uh, they're 
The Navy football team will be gathered in Annapolis. Things will be happening, and I'll be on furlough. Yeah, that's it, and it's just—I'll just say it—it it sucks, and it's not—it's not right. It's not ideal, but ho- hopefully, we still have the uh, the avenue here with Sync Second Sports to deliver this uh, to deliver this content. And maybe during that furlough week, that's when we can really scratch Ward's itch and maybe drive down to like Pinehurst Number Two. I hear it's very close. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and go from there. Well, I, you know, it, as you said, there's a lot going on. And as we speak, as we're recording this, you know, the, it's very much, uh, a question as to whether major league baseball is going to come back. That's kind of been dominating the conversation that, you know, the owners propose this many games, the players come back and say, no, I want, or we want this many games. We want this kind of a profit share against this. Uh, it, it's it's really emblematic of the dysfunction that that exists out there, and and I know that I speak for all of us when I say that we hope that that the way that Chet characterized it last week is a little bit more uh, like what we're going to see with college football. That they're going to be able to work it out. That they're going to be able to find some sort of a middle ground because it certainly looks like baseball isn't even near a middle ground. And if I had to predict right now, I would say there is no baseball this season, which. Again, I'll use this word again. It it sucks. So I I don't know. What's your prediction on the whole baseball thing, Ward? No, I think you're right. I think the I, I thought we were there, and then we went backwards with the players' association. Um. So if I was to make a bet, and I'm not a betting man, I would say that there will be no baseball season. I mean, what's American summer without baseball? Right. I I don't. I mean, the word unprecedented is overused, but this really is a manifestation a tragic manifestation of, of how we're living in times that are unprecedented. Well, I'll just exactly. say it, it, you're right. And it's going to be embarrassing for major league baseball because what's going to happen is their summer platform, July, August is now going to be taken quite possibly and likely by the NBA and NHL. So normally NBA and NHL would be done by July, August and major league baseball would get the, the stage all to themselves. And now what's going to happen is major league baseball is going to be sidelined. And we're going to be watching NBA and NHL playoffs. Yep. Now they're missing a golden opportunity, but Hey, for all of you insatiable sports fans out there, uh, the dialogue and the, and the deliberations between the four of us at Wink, we sing second is going very well. There are no furloughs or, uh, work stoppages on the horizon for us. We're going to continue to bring you great content, great guests, awesome information about Navy sports for Navy sports fans. So we're going to... Well, now you mentioned gonna, it, I've had a pay irregularity um, that we need to remedy. <laughs> we we all have that. Um, well, hopefully on a serious note, we, we are making some progress as more people listen to this podcast and we appreciate you listening to this podcast. We're making progress with sponsors and uh, we think we're pretty close on the horizon to getting a title sponsor and getting some other sponsors to help us deliver you uh, this awesome information. So, so keep spreading the word. Share the podcast where you can. Let other Navy fans and Navy grads know about it. And we'll keep doing our job on this end. So we'll go to break. And when we come back, instead of talking about the 106 that Ward shot at Gettysburg yesterday, we will talk to Admiral Derwood Curtis. You are listening to Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. 
Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. And we're back. On now back to the pod. Sports. Let's get right into our alumni segment. Really happy to be joined this week by Vice Admiral, retired Derwood Curtis. Admiral Curtis is a 1976 grad from the Naval Academy where he majored in political science and also played football. He also holds a master's in public administration from Central Michigan University. Uh, in his final job uh, in the Navy, he was the commander of U.S. Naval Surface Forces and led the Naval Surface Warfare Enterprise, providing service combatant ships for the operations worldwide for the U.S. Navy. He now lives just outside of Annapolis in the D.C. area. Admiral Curtis, thank you so much for joining Sing Second Sports. How are you doing? Well, great, John, and thanks a lot for the uh, honor of being here today, especially with such a esteemed group. I uh, hear Coach Ken is here today who, of course, is my favorite coach, and I wish I could have played for him uh, when I was uh, here. And also Diego, who I think is uh, one of the top players, and I love the way he attacks people on the field. Absolutely. Well, so you referenced your your playing days, sir. So we we really tried to highlight the physical mission on this podcast, you know, the uh, information about Navy sports for Navy sports fans. So for sports fans who might not necessarily know about your career, kind of walk us through – uh, your experience with the football team when you were a student, what position did you play? What was your biggest win? And what are your favorite memories of those years playing football? Well, first of all, I'm really honored and thankful to be a uh, become a midshipman um, from the south side of Chicago. And, uh, it's just interesting with the things that are going on in our country now. One of the reasons I was recruited for the Navy was the Navy was looking at increasing diversity. And in fact, when I interviewed with the coach, Rick Frazano, who unfortunately passed uh, recently, he and we came into his office and found out he told us all the same thing. He had decided to go to the inner city to recruit black athletes. He wanted speed. He wanted athletes. He wanted to turn Navy football around, basically. And he would point at a pitcher and said, that's my uh, Italian father. He was the first Division One Italian coach. I didn't know anything about what he was talking about, but Roger. But I love the place. I love the people. So he ended up, uh, yeah, I came from Chicago. We had a guy from uh, Gary, Indiana, Louisville, Kentucky, New Jersey, uh, and really came in and had a great time. Of course, Coach Welch came in, and the rest is history, because he came in and bought the Penn State mentality, where he, of course, he graduated from Naval Academy, All-American, went to Penn State under Paterno. He came in, and, and the results were the best team we had since the Starback years in 1963. We had All-American Hall of Famer Chet Moeller on the team, Phil McConkey. We eventually uh, went to the Super Bowl. They made a movie about us. It's on YouTube, by the way, if you look it up. Uh, they showed us the way, uh, team of 1975. So we did okay. And even produced a few flag officers along the way. I was initially recruited as a quarterback. Uh, when I came in, there were 25 quarterbacks and 27 defensive backs. So I assumed that I could beat all the guys running. And that's what I basically did. So, And I wanted to play. I didn't want to, want to sit on the sideline. So we had it was a great experience. We got a chance, of course, to play Notre Dame. Uh, we were beating them until two minutes and 43 seconds into the fourth quarter in Vet Stadium when the stuffle beam threw a, a trick pass as a punter, uh, but they came back, unfortunately. Got a chance to play in front of Michigan in front of 105,000 people. We played uh, University of Washington. We beat Penn State while I was there. Uh, and since we beat them, they took us off the schedule. And then we never played Penn State again after that. Uh, but it was just amazing, just the people we had. Uh, Wayne Fonts was one of our coaches. He eventually went to Detroit Lions. Uh, we had Pete McCauley, who um, went to the New York Jets and, of course, SMU. And Steve Belichick, who was uh, Coach Bill Belichick's dad, was probably the smartest guy ever in Navy football. I mean, you, you just learned a lot you know, from him while we were there. So just being a, a midshipman, of course, a lot of hard work, 
but a lot of great uh, experience and memories and preparation. So how did you get away from the schools around Chicago? Like they didn't, they didn't recruit you at Northwestern or Purdue. Did you always want to be a midshipman? And then when you became a commissioned officer, did you ever have a thought that you'd eventually be wearing three stars? Well, that's interesting because uh, if you grew up in Chicago, it's, uh, uh, it's really Purdue, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. And of course, I wanted to go to Notre Dame, you know, like Rudy and everyone else. And I was recruited slightly by Notre Dame, uh, but I also wanted to go to West Point. So when I uh, didn't win the new Rockney Award because a guy named Quinn Buckner won it instead, <laughs> I vowed that one day I'm going to beat Notre Dame. I'm going to wear blue and gold. Go across the field and shake their hand, and unfortunately, was not able to. But uh, but I was able to wear blue and gold, and uh, wouldn't give it up for anything. So, uh, Admiral, we talked to Chet uh, last show, and he answered head on some of the uh, let's just call it alumni criticism about creating a athletic powerhouse. Um, so, in some minds, that's sort of a zero sum game in terms of the calculus of concentrating on getting great coaches and then blue chip athletes. Um, you're the perfect guy to answer this because of your in-uniform experience against your pedigree as a football player at, at school. And you just rattled off some great names there. I was CAG Ops for Boomer, by the way, um, when he was the CAG aboard GW. Um, and it was a great tour. Um, but I was a plebe when Phil McConkie and those guys were playing and Coach Welch and everything else. And so I've uh, followed with great interest the success of that era both in and out of football uniforms and in military uniforms. And then I was also on the staff during the not-so-good years, and as was John. And right. we, we spoke about this when Chet first got here last, last episode. So what would you say to the critics, or what do you say to the critics, with respect to a focus, let's just call it a focus on creating great athletic programs as part of the Naval Academy mission? Well, I think it can be done uh, in both respects, in both regards, because it's very competitive, as we well know, to, number one, get into the Naval Academy. We only take the uh, the top you know, personnel to, to be able to do that, to be able to serve. And the coaches, thank goodness, make it known up front that you know, your chances of going to the NFL or whatever are, are very, very, very slim. It's only a few athletes that are able to do that. Uh, and and that's not what we're about. You know, we're about leadership. We're about development. We're about producing leaders for the Naval Service. And with that being said, there's still an opportunity also to represent the military, represent our school and other venues. So when we do get a rare person like a Keenan Reynolds, like a Perry, you know, like a Napoleon McAllen, or like David Robinson, the scope, the breadth, the influence that they can have will be amazing. And that represents our Navy, that represents our nation, and it represents our school. And so I know there's a lot of alum that uh, that's not what they're paid for, that's not what they're coming for, but you just, you hear some of the stories about David Robinson. I had the opportunity to uh, go with the Navy League in San Antonio. All they could talk about was David Robinson, what he did, his schools, the influence, the mentoring. Uh, Napoleon McCallum, just the influence that having somebody like that around in their locker room, same thing with Keenan Reynolds. I mean, Jim Harbaugh spoke so highly of him. So having that type of influence, having that type of example, it's it's being a role model. And again, we do get a lot of mileage out of that. And I'm sure everybody's not agreeable with that, but that's the God-given talent that they have. Uh, and again, they did sacrifice to come to the Naval Academy because some people won't. They'll take their talents you know, elsewhere, but at least they came to serve, to help, and, and to support us. 
Sir, can you walk us through a little bit of what you're doing now in order to give back to the Naval Academy in order to continue to promote diversity, in order to continue pr to promote kind of the whole person multiple that we continue to try to inculcate into the uh, into the spirit of the Naval Academy, uh, not only through admissions, but through you know everything the Academy is involved in. Can you walk our listeners through a little bit of what you do now? Well, sure. It's been great. I've been, I had the opportunity to serve on one of the committees for the uh, Board of Trustees, for about the last five years, I've been working with the admissions, membership, and alumni services to try to have uh, new ideas, initiatives to get more and expand the membership of the Naval Academy. I work closely with the Football Brotherhood. Uh, Frank Sheck has done an amazing job. They have over 1,200 former football players and midshipmen all working together uh, to support uh, the Brotherhood. Because of some friends I had, I was able to get the uh, tailgate wagon. I don't know if you've seen it, the big van that we have there. Uh, we were able to work a deal to get that uh, so it's, it's it's mobile, it could do it, but just to support the football brotherhood. And so what does that do that helps you know give back to uh, the organization that helps mentor those uh, first class? We work with the football team with uh, service selection uh, because you know, we have some of that's not on their mind right now. Uh, we do mentoring sessions in the spring for the first days uh, for about six weeks, giving them basics, reporting to the new ship, career development, financial management, things that I wish I had before I graduated. Uh, we also uh, talk to them during the year and make ourselves accessible, you know, for instance, mainly because I'm local. Uh, the Brotherhood is a good connection because it helps connect uh, folks when they're going to their new duty stations. It connects the military, it connects corporate, so each of them can help each other. For diversity, the good thing is uh, being on the Board of Trustees, I've been given good support with our group, and we started what's called a shared interest group. And these are shared interest groups like the Football Brotherhood, like the Women's Network, who support the academy and may not be that much involved in the Alumni Association. So it gives another venue. Just as you know, the crew, the crew team has a group. The Glee Club has a group that they stay in contact. Well, we formally uh, formed what's called NAMA, the Naval Academy uh, Minority Association. And <laughs> funny, it was formed by seven football players who had a vision of uh, what can we do for the academy? Because the success we've had, the success for our families, the academy has supported my four kids. And they're all graduates because of what the academy is about. So we started the um, Minority Association to basically give back, to continue to develop leaders, to make a difference. And we do that in different ways. We provide scholarships and STEM scholarships for the students trying to come to the academy because there are a lot of kids throughout our nation who can't afford the $500 to come to the different programs and helping Dean Lada with that. Uh, mentor programs with the mids, through sessions, pizza parties, panels, uh, receptions. Uh, and the good thing with that is we're able to connect them, give them some guidance, help them out and help them some things that made that getting help in Bancroft and give them some, some examples. Uh, there was one young lady who wanted to be a cyber major. As you know, everyone at the academy takes cyber now. She was going to do an internship at NSA. I introduced her to a captain who works at NSA. We found out the division she's going to, the executive director is an academy graduate, so we were able to connect her with the academy graduate at NSA. So just that connection. We had another who was going to want to go to the medical program. So we contacted the former Surgeon General. So what you know, what better mentoring and advice you know, can you get without doing something like that? So we try to do that. There are numerous, you'll probably be surprised, numerous uh, diversity clubs at the Naval Academy, uh, the Native American Club, the Italian Club, a Caribbean American Club, Asian Pacific Club, Black Studies Club. So our association reaches out to all. We try to help them with support. They have conferences that they do. Uh, they have uh, different events that they have that we help sponsor. So again, trying to build that network. And then after they graduate, make sure that they can reach up to other military um, personnel for advice, that they also can reach to the corporate world. 
because we have there are folks in Price Waterhouse, there are folks who's out. I guess I'm probably not supposed to name different companies, but folks that they can reach back and try to help them as they continue their career, be it military, be it corporate, be it nonprofit. And then, of course, another goal is to give back to the academy. I've been successful because of the academy. I've been able to achieve because of what I have, and I want to give back to try to make the academy better. It just speaks volumes about uh, you know the special network that the Naval Academy is. Is that it, it? It works with you in order to get you to graduation and commissioning, and then even afterwards, you know, the network continues to work to uh, push the ball forward, so to speak, um, for everybody. So, I, I number one, I completely appreciate what you're doing and what you're still doing for athletes and and all Naval Academy students. Speaking of four particular students, you mentioned that your kids, three girls, one boy, all went to the Naval Academy. Yeah, they go well. My son, he uh, played basketball in intramurals, and two of my daughters played uh, women's Navy basketball, so they were very big supporters there. One ran track. Very, very you nice. Know, one well, thing you were saying, that if I can add uh, about the network, uh, one interesting fact, in the 70s, uh, there was a, one of the company officers who took an interest in some of the minority students was Lieutenant Mike Mullen, and he was one of our company officers. Uh, fast forward, when he became Captain Mullen, I was a detailer on the selection board. And 10, 15 years later, he still remembered my name. So many times I could reach out to him. And of course, Lieutenant Mullen became Admiral Mullen, who became the Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff. So as you say, that Navy network, the Navy fraternity, because I, I believe that the brigade is a fraternity in itself. You know, and that's one of the things they've taught us about. I'll kick it to Ward for the last question. But I will say this, sir, I, I do appreciate particularly with Ward always flexing his uh, F-14 NFO prowess out here to have another swoop in on the show. I appreciate (laughs) that beyond words. Uh, Ward, go ahead and take us out. Well, since we're name dropping, I mentioned Boomer was the CAG when I was CAG Ops. Admiral Mullen was the battle group commander. Uh, Phil Davidson, now Indo-PACOM, was chief of staff to then Captain Sestak, who was the Desron. So we had some pretty remarkable personalities (laughs) all all kludged together um, wow. on that particular on that deployment, and that's how I got my orders to teach at the Naval Academy when John was there. Um, that was my last tour on active duty, was because uh, uh, Admiral Mullen uh, sort of found a wreck that they had been hiding there in Prodef. Uh, so, uh, yeah. but that's great. Know, I that relieved great. Uh, Admiral Sestak at Desron 14. I went to be <laughs> Admiral Mullen's chief of staff yet Second Fleet. When I went to Italy to be Director of Transformation and Strategy, Boomer was Sixth Fleet. And okay. when I was an XO, Admiral Lynch, who was my coach at the Naval Academy, was my battle group commander. So you're right. It's a small world. Yeah, no, and that's the fun, right? That's the beauty of this thing. So when we're like, why would I go to the Naval Academy um, as a blue chip athlete? We've just described elements of that that you you can't really get anywhere else. And not to mention the import of your position um, as, as a TICOM. Um, so where did your experience as a varsity football player serve you as an active duty naval officer? And then let me put another detail on that question. Where did it serve you as you rose to the highest levels of leadership within the Navy? Well, I always came to the academy with a, uh, uh, I think a, maybe a chip on my shoulder is the best way to put it, that to compete at the Naval Academy, I had to be twice as good as everybody else there. Just coming from the south side of Chicago, just coming into the Naval Academy environment. Uh, so it's always, and I, I think the goal was, or the challenge was try to prove myself. Uh, the football team, the relationship with the, the discipline, 
because many of you know Coach Welch. He was a very disciplinarian to the point that if we weren't uh, performing on the field, he'd throw the whole team off the field. Yeah, at 90 degrees, sometimes it's not bad, but most likely we're missing something. So having that discipline, having that teamwork and knowing that we all have to function together. And again, that equates to a command, that equates to a ship, to a squadron, uh, the collaboration that's important because you know all the cogs of it are for success. So taking that into town management, we didn't have much time uh, in the 70s as they do now. We had to go to formations. We had to go to all the different events. Uh, we had to wear uniforms, yeah, everything. So it's uh, the good thing is the administration supports uh, uh, the football team a lot more now than in the past because they have to, I mean, to make sure we're staying competitive. So trying to, uh, I think, balance all those things with the discipline, with the hard work, with the teamwork uh, helped as I went through the different commands because uh, we always were trying to get better. Every, whenever I went to a division, whenever I went to uh, a department, my goal was to make sure that the individual that's working for me leaves my command, leaves my division better than the way he walked on. And so that was one of the goals. And I think doing that in that small portion of being a division, a department, it helps make the command better throughout. And you can't, and that's how you excel. So I've been able to use that with uh, all the different opportunities that I've had. Uh, people say, you know, take care of your people. Yes, I want to take care of you. Yes, I want to see you promote, but I'm also going to challenge you. So I think that was imperative. And then the other part, of course, is making people feel apart. Just like you said, you were the CAG. Uh, I was the N3. I wanted to make sure that the CAG, these carrier ops, the Desron, the cruiser ops, the air wing, everybody felt this is our group and, all, and we either ride you know, or die without, with each other. And that's why we want to try to be the best. So that, that really helped. And I think learning those lessons early, learning those lessons uh, at the academy, learning those lessons on that hot astroturf, uh, next to the Severn River, you know, some of those things that we never forget. But then also seeing the maturity, you, you're seeing that seaman get promoted. You're seeing that uh, first class make chief. You're seeing some of the midshipmen that I had in first company make flag officer eventually, you know, or do some things. So I came back as a company officer and uh, those guys, and so far I think we've had six flag officers, you know, out of that company. So again, what kind of impact can you have? Uh, what kind of example you know are you setting for? And, and again, I think the academy does such a great job in, in prepping us to do that. Completely agree, sir. And uh, our guest last week, uh, Admiral Carter, uh, I remember vividly as we were doing a lot of media to talk about why we still had the boxing program. Summed it up very well, and just saying that. And I'm sure many other people have said it that you know you you learn a whole lot about yourself uh, after you get punched in the mouth and and I think that's what every athlete learns or goes through either on the football field or on the soccer pitch or wherever the the value of athletics uh, really makes you so much better not only as an athlete but as a person writ large and I think that we're seeing that with you uh, for sure so uh, Admiral and on behalf of the entire sing second sports team, uh, thank you very much, not only for, for coming on the show, but for what you do through the Brotherhood, through NAMA, um, and, and just being an example of, of what a good Naval Academy graduate and Naval officer is. Uh, Admiral Derwood Curtis joining us here on Sing Second Sports. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep up the great work. Okay. So we're going to go to break. When we come back, we will have Coach Kenny Niamatololo. We'll talk about the past football season and what he thinks the football season ahead might bring, particularly with either fans or no fans in the stands. Stick with us. We're going to go pay some bills. This is Sing Second Sports.
You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back with Sing Second Sports. Awesome segment right there with uh, Admiral Derwood Curtis, class of 76, uh, member of the football team. Uh, keeping with the football team theme here, uh, very honored to be joined by Coach Kenny Niamatololo. Um, Coach, I, I can go into the entirety of your, uh, of your bio, but I think the value that we have here is the back and forth. Everyone knows who you are. On behalf of this podcast, thank you for what you've done, not only for the Brotherhood, but for the Navy football program. Uh, I'll just start off by asking you, how are you doing and how have you handled the pandemic so far? I think like everybody else, you know, I'm doing fine. You know, I'm obviously there's people that are um, suffer worse. You know, people have lost jobs, unfortunately loss of lives. Those that are affected by the virus, I mean, we all are, but um, I was able to spend time with my family in Hawaii, which was great. Um, be with my daughter and her family. Uh, my son was there from college. I was in Hawaii for three months. That's the longest I've been in a stretch to be back in Hawaii since 95, you know, since I left to come to the Naval Academy. Um, but I also kind of chuckle because some guys think, oh, how is, you know, it's nice to have vacation over there. I think with Zoom, I think we all became busier. You know, it's kind of crazy. It's like, I, I feel like, you know, I felt like by the time I got off Zoom, you look at the clock, like, man, I was on Zoom all day. So our, our Google Meets or Google Hangouts, whatever the, the virtual forum was. But I feel very fortunate. It was a great time to be with my family in spite of the circumstances and all this going on. Absolutely. It makes total sense. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Hawaii. You're a 1989 graduate um, of Hawaii. You lettered three years as a quarterback, uh, and you were part of the first bowl team um, in 1989. How, how special is that? you know, is, is that bond you have with the islands. I, I lived in the islands for, for a period of time. Um, and I know that you've gotten some recruits uh, from Hawaii over the course of the year, uh, over the course of your years of the coach, as the coach. Um, how, how do you, how do you kind of characterize how you want Hawaii to be part of the culture that, that you're imbuing upon uh, the players at the Naval Academy? And, and how, how has it affected your recruiting? Do you find that it's a recruiting hotbed for you? Well, it's, it, the state's actually been really good to us. Uh, the kids that have come out of Hawaii have actually done really well. Um, you know, they've come, they've graduated. You know, they've excelled while they're at the academy, you know, did well as they played. So very proud of the kids that have come from Hawaii. But, you know, I think your home is always special to you. It's who you are, regardless of where you're at, from Arkansas or California or Maryland. I mean, it's it's your upbringing. And so being from Hawaii, you know, I'm Samoan, but I was raised in Hawaii. Uh, Polynesians are family-oriented, like a lot of cultures, uh, very faith-based people. Uh, we like to eat a lot, you know, and so, and I, and I kind of say that jokingly, but it's kind of the truth. And so, um, Nobody taught me how to be a head coach. It's not like there's a head coaching school or university that you go to and, and you can't be anybody else. You know, I followed Coach Johnson, who's a phenomenal coach, but I had to be me. I mean, Coach Johnson couldn't be anybody else. It's not like you are who you are. 
And so the reason why is important because that's how I've created our culture. I want to be a, a brotherhood. You know, we had a strong brotherhood before, but I want to take even further the, the team that loved each other, a team that was humble and tough and strong. Um, food is a big part of our program. We eat a lot together. And just some little things, just, um, you know, we go on the road, we, we eat together on our meals, and it's by design. A lot of Division I teams don't do that. They have an agenda, you know, from 7 to 9, come down to ballroom, see, and grab your breakfast, go back to the room. Uh, which is okay. I mean, there are a lot of teams that win that way, but we always try to congregate when we eat. It's just how I was raised, you know, to, to discuss things. Uh, we're a family. Um, kind of like Polynesian people, I feel like we're we're humble people. We're tough, but we ain't backing down. We don't back down for people. And so from a football standpoint, I think it fits great into our program. Be a humble program. We don't want to talk a lot of smack off the field. But on the field, I mean, we're coming after you. You know, and so, I know that's just kind of our approach. Just be good Americans, good, be good people, uh, be humble. Don't be an arrogant, arrogant group of people, but be fierce and be a family that loves each other. Coach, you and I spoke for another podcast on Army Week, which seems like three years ago now. Um, and uh, so how are we looking going into the Notre Dame game? with respect to the team getting back and, and getting into the training and then the practice and so forth. What, what does that look like in terms of the chronology of it? What are your concerns? Um, I know WAGS captured some of your thoughts when you were in Hawaii about what were the requirements you needed to be comfortable with putting a team on the field. So what are you thinking now as this thing is starting to coalesce in some ways? There's still a lot of chaos. <laughs> you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty what's going on. I think all of us in the world are still trying to figure things out. I mean, we have the smartest people in the world, the smartest scientists, the smartest doctors in the world still trying to figure out the, the virus. And we're learning more stuff about it, but I think we realize that we don't know everything about it. And so just all of those precautions, all the proto protocols to keep you safe, you know, we obviously know all the, the basics of the social distancing and washing your hands and, you know, all those kinds of things, um, you know, it's, it's, it's daily meeting, you know, trying to figure things out. Early on in the pandemic, my main concern is just to make sure our team was safe. I think all of us early on when it, it first broke out that, you know, it, it, was, it was pretty scary for everybody. It still is. Uh, but I think we're starting to learn more about it. So we're kind of transitioning to stuff. Early on, they gave us some early early, early preliminary things by the NCAA, what their thought was. Are we going to have two week, two months, seven weeks, six weeks? You know, and so uh, we went with the six-week plan, you know, because all indications of meetings I had been, there would probably be six weeks. So we started to come with some of the variables for that, but there's so many different things. Um, I've been doing a long, long time, and so I, I pretty much have our formula down on how we're going to practice in the summer, uh, how we're going to do things in camp. Our strength coach has their way they're going to do things, our spring ball and all that stuff. But you eliminate spring football practice, which we're going to try to find our quarterback. You take out spring practice where you're still building the culture of your team. Every team's different. You know, people that don't recognize football don't recognize that every year you're starting from scratch. You start from ground one, ground zero, and you, you build your team back up. 
And spring ball is important because that's where you build a lot of your toughness, your character for that team. So we miss out on that. And then to miss out on the summer training, which makes it even tougher. So then you got, you know, we go normally go on zero block early in May. And then we come back in June and July and our guys lift and run during the summer. So now you miss out on that part. Um, we're, we're, trying, we're still trying to figure it out. I know it's not a great answer, but we're still trying to figure this out of how we're going to do things, um, you know, how we're going to practice um, to make sure that we're ready. A lot of stuff early on, people would ask me, like, what's going on in Ireland? I had no idea. I wasn't going to worry about it. Chet and, you know, Jack Swarbrook from Notre Dame, they were going to take care of all the logistical stuff and planning and tickets. That was really, to be honest with you, the least of my concerns. I was trying to make sure that we get ready for Notre Dame. And, you know, we're meeting daily. We're trying to, uh, as a staff, we're meeting. We're meeting as of coaches. Um, you know, our, our medical people are meeting with the, the um the military side and trying to figure out what's the best way to bring us back. How can we stay safe? And every day something new comes up. Just when we think we have a plan, we rip it up. And go, okay, that's not going to Throw it out. We start from ground zero again. No, you can't do that because that could be contaminated. You know, so we have to start from ground zero. I think one of the early benefits of being a little bit later, early on I was later, I was a little concerned about coming late because we're missing on all these workouts that guys are getting ahead of us. But, I think you kind of see that some of these people are making some mistakes and, you know, coming that some of the people are reporting early, just they're finding out certain things. So we're still trying to figure that all out. Um, the hard part about all of that is trying to figure that out. And the first game is the best team on our schedule. <laughs> you know, I was kind of hoping it can be like kind of break into a little bit, but we're going to play a team that a lot of people are picking to be a playoff team. Um, and I thought we had a good team last year. And this team beat the crap out of us, you know. So, you know, we're trying to get ready for a new Notre Dame team and uh, us being a 2020 Navy football team. Um, still a lot of variables. We're still trying to figure out our practice plan, how the best way to do it. How do we separate guys? Hopefully if one guy gets it, you know, your starter doesn't get it. And how do you practice on the field? We're trying to figure out how to meet. You know, normally we're in classroom settings but we're probably going to have to meet virtually like we're doing right now. We're meeting virtually. We're trying to figure out how do we meet as a staff? You know what I mean? We having a small staff, just like most staff, you got a little boardroom and the staff and you sit around that. I mean, that's out the window. You know what I mean? So there's just so many different things that we're used to doing. It's kind of, it's been really hard for me because I'm a visual person. So I normally come in staff room. I got one side of the staff rooms, all of our personnel board, academics and all these different things on one side of it, our NAPS kids. And on one side is our calendar with all the different things. And the back of it is, has more of our, our boards. And not being able to see all of that, you know, you get on Zoom and, you know, you have to click certain things. And um, hopefully we'll figure it out. <laughs> but it, it's a – I know it's a long answer, but it's it's a moving target right now. But we're just – we're like everybody else, though. I'm, it's hard to complain because everybody else is going through the same things. So we'll just do the best we can uh, trying to get ready for a really, really good football team. But it's tough right now. And just a week ago, I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on it. And I came Monday to our staff meeting, and I realized I had to throw that plan out. So we had to start back over again. And hopefully we'll be ready, though. We'll be ready when we start. Well, Coach, I know from past experience, because I'm out there covering spring ball, 
how important it is. Uh, you talk about building the culture, obviously that's a critical element, but even more so at Navy, you're looking at young players, guys that didn't get a chance to play last year. This is their chance to put their you know, stamp on things and, and show the coaching staff they deserve a spot on the depth chart, and they miss that opportunity. Um, and I worry, I mean, are you going to have time to really evaluate the young guys and try to give them a fair shake and determine can they help you in 2022, or do you think you've lost something there? Oh, he's definitely lost it, Wags. I mean, you can't make up time. I mean, you got – you think about it, you go from January to August to try to prepare your team, and, you, and you've lost six months of it. You know what I mean? And so – but you, so has everybody else. You know what I mean? Everybody else has lost that time. The, the thing I'm hoping on WAGS is the thing that we've talked about in our team meetings that our players have brought up, which I'm really encouraged about. I feel really good about the culture of our program, the discipline of our kids, that the discipline of our kids will come to the surface at this time. You know, where really everybody's at home, you do whatever you want. You know what I mean? There's no restrictions, so to speak. I mean, you're supposed to be quarantined. You're supposed to do certain things. But our guys have talked about, hey, this is when we need to make hay with our program, just all the things that we've learned at the academy. You know, all the things that you've learned at MAPS or, the, or Pleep Summer or just, just anything. And just even in, 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 in working out in the summer, now is when we got to make sure that we touch the line. And hopefully that will be our edge. Hopefully that will be our edge that we're more disciplined than other teams because uh, we all have a short amount of time wags and it's, that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough that, you know, we're not able to make up that time. Um, we, it's going to be really tough to evaluate a plebes. We won't get plebes until they pretty much won't be at camp. So you, you basically have to rule out plebes ex- except for certain positions. But at, I mean, how, how does, how does the plebe get ready for a football game in two weeks? I mean, much less, like you said, freshmen that never got on the field, trying to give them a month, a six weeks, they might have a shot. Two weeks, you got it, it, maybe some positions, but it'd be very hard to play. So, yeah, it's going to be tough, Wags, but the rest of the country is going through the same thing. So we're just trying to see the best we can. How can we maximize it? Okay, can't complain. This is what we got. We got this short amount of time. How do we prepare our team for – uh, a top five, you know, a top five football team coming to our stadium, you know, and obviously we want to keep people safe. It would have been kind of cool to play them with a Air Force type stadium, you know, where it's packed and the whole stadium, you know, the hill is packed, but obviously that's not going to be the case. So we just do the best we can, man, get ready to go. So another thing I was thinking about is that, um, uh, experimentation with position changes. A lot of times in the spring, you'll you have guys and they you know they were recruited as X, but you think, yeah, you know what, they might be a better fit in here. And without name and name, there was one position possible position change that could have been crucial. And I don't know that you can follow through with that experiment now because you don't have the five six weeks of spring ball to play with it. So is that another thing? Because uh, Navy, I think more than a lot of programs it will move guys around to different positions. I, I don't know that you can – you're not going to have the luxury and the time to do that this time, right? Well, we're going to try. And so we're trying to – you know, a lot of the stuff, you're trying to guess, Wags. You know, so you're trying to visualize, well, maybe this you would have did this, which is tough because it's not a fair evaluation. And it's 
uh, it's not a fair assessment, but you know, what's fair in life right now? I mean, it's, it's tough. You know what I mean? So we just, we're going to try to make the best decision we can. We'll probably make a lot of mistakes on, man, we shouldn't have moved him just like I shouldn't move Malcolm two years ago. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, we're going to make some decisions that are going to be wrong decisions, but we're going to have to make those decisions without a full, um, cupboard, so to speak, of all the information and data that we need. You know, the cupboard is going to be half full and we just got to make the decisions based on the information that we have, but we're still going to have to make some changes at positions and, and just kind of live with the results. Last for me, your plan of Navy naming the team captains after spring brawl, after you've had a good thorough evaluation of what they did during the offseason is now out the window. Do you know when you're going to name captains? Probably when we come back, probably when we come back, maybe after a couple of weeks, you know, we'll kind of let this team simulate a little bit. Might be even during camp, you know what I mean? But we'll just kind of let that transpire, let guys come back and work. Because you want you got to be careful. You want to be careful of voting for a guy, then come back and you realize the guy's totally out of shape. You know, what does this guy do? You know, you allow guys to come back. Uh, and then you see, because, you know, guys know. When they come back and look at, man, he, he got after it in the three and a half months he's been in quarantine. And then some guys look, man, he didn't do anything. And so you, we want to make the captainship of something that you've earned. It's not anything, you know, it's not a class ranking. It's not anything by uh, merit. It's totally on what you, you know, you do all just by merit, but it's totally by what you do. It's not anything that's assigned or given to you. You got to earn it. So to that point, Coach, have you been in comms with the team as a whole? Um, do you have any sense of who is following the workout regimens and who's not? Or is this, like you said, just going to be totally day one, they show up and they'll, they'll show you what they did while they were in isolation? Well, we've been having team meetings. So we've been having weekly, you know, um, position meetings almost every day. Every other day we have three times a week. We have position meetings team meetings, our strength coach is reaching out to guys individually, asking them what they're doing, what they need to do. Um, you know, we check on them that way. We check on them just, you know, what, what kind of resources that they have. So our strength coach has had to go to guys individually. Okay, what do you have? Okay, I got a couple weights in my garage. Uh, you know, somebody might say, hey, yeah, I got access to the, um, the high school weight room that's open for me. And, and some guys say, I ain't got anything. I live in an apartment. You know, so, okay, well, go find you somewhere you can do some pull-ups or, you know, just uh, whatever you can do. So we just make, you know, try to take access of where guys are at. Uh, and in those meetings, you know, we just try to figure out where they're at. Um, and just recognizing that, you know, so we've already given them a calendar when the PRT is. When we come back, there's going to be a two-week quarantine when we come back. So if guys haven't been able to run, some of the states that you have don't allow you to come out as much or, like you say, you live in an apartment complex. Uh, so we'll spend the first two weeks of conditioning mostly, try to get ready for the PRT, which, again, I, I have to, you know, recognize I'm coaching at the Naval Academy, which is hard for me because the PRT is not football. It's a totally different skill set. You know what I mean? We're not long-distance runners. You know, football is quick and it's explosive. I mean. Most of the times, a lineman won't run past 20 yards, but they're all sprints. You know, it's like you're sprinting the whole game. DBs might go 40 yards, but 
um, where, you know, you're never going on a, 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 a long distance like that. So, we, but we still have to knock it out. So this is our thought process, just kind of to wife's point too. So we have a condensed part. Normally we had time to get ready for the PRT and get ready for our football. Now we're like, okay, we have to make a decision. We only have this amount of time. Since you're in quarantine and you not don't have access to some stuff, just get ready for the PRT. Uh, then we'll you know, try to pass that. Then we can use the rest of the time to try to get ready for football, which is already a short time. Um, but we're giving them all these scenarios. Hey, guys, this, this is going to be tough, but you got this time, but you have to do it. Because whether we say a uh, Maryland, I mean, um, Notre Dame, can we push our game back a little bit? Uh, because, you know, in Maryland, we had these tough restrictions. At the academy, we had some tough restrictions. And they're they're going to be here ready to beat the crap out of us. You know, so we got to make sure we pass our PRT and they get ready for football and, and then bring on the Irish. <laughs> Well, so how does isolation work for the coaching staff? Are you guys part of the bubble? I mean, yes. you know, people can't go home at night, right? I mean, so when that starts, you guys are kind of, you know, in for the duration. Yeah, so the two weeks before we report back, two weeks before we come back um, to the academy to start basically, you know, back to work, so to speak, we have, I mean, we have to be in quarantine, you know, no... I mean, locally, you know, nobody's traveling anywhere, going, you know, foreign country or anything to go on vacation. Obviously, you know, guys got to go to the grocery stores and stuff like that. But basically until that time, we're going to, you know, we're going to be quarantined like our players will be uh, in Bancroft Hall, but we'll be here um, at home. That brings up a great point, though. Then we're, so we feel pretty good about, because the medical staff and the military side, and John knows this having, you know, worked in superintendents off. They've been meeting daily. I mean, they, they've been scheduling stuff daily to try to figure this all out. Um, I feel good until camp and halfway through camp. I feel like we got a really good plan, um, you know, to our, our, our quarantine period. Then we start to come in phases when we come back. But then it opens up another element, obviously, when the rest of the brigade gets here, the rest of the workers get here. You know, how's that work? How's that work in our own lives? You know, so getting to this point has been hard enough. I, 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 I cringe at pulling down the curtain from the other side of it. So, <laughs> you know, we'll just, I, I just kind of like, pull, you know, get ready with my eyes like this a little bit. But um, that part of it will be interesting. But I feel so far the early quarantine for the coaches when we start camp, it's a little bit easier. You're all, it's just the football players and the plebes and, some other sports, not all the sports are here, you know, so you feel like you can contain things a little bit, but then things when everybody else gets back, that's a, I'll let the soup and the dot and all those guys worry about that one. That's a different one that comes up. That's, I'm sure they're working on that. I, well, I know they're working on that daily. So coach, I'll, uh, I'll bring us out with the last question. We had coach Tuchelis, uh from the basketball team on a couple of weeks ago. We were talking to him about, how cool the veterans classic was, you know, getting teams or programs in here like Michigan state and North Carolina and Florida. Um, I, it, it warmed my heart last year to see army, uh, give Michigan a real run in Ann Arbor, just to see them get smoked by us 31 seven at the end of the year, which was great. Um, but have you like, and, and on top of that army is supposed to welcome Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma in this year. 
Have you had any thoughts or discussions about home and homes with with some other big programs? I know the the AAC is challenging enough. You're not trying to to make your life more difficult, but do you, do you have a team out there that you'd love to see, you know, accept a home and home with maybe? Yeah, the thing that makes that so tough, John, is this, is like, so just look at this. The AEC had four teams in the top 25, us, Memphis, UCF, and Cincinnati. There are only two conferences that had more than us, the SEC and the Big Ten. We had more teams in the, big, in the top 25 than the ACC. They only had uh, Clemson and Virginia. The Pac-12 had Oregon and Utah. This is a super, super competitive league, man, that people don't realize. And so I won't mention, but that other school we talked about, some of the schools they played, they kind of balanced their deal off, though. You know what I mean? They got that, but then you look at the other side of it, and, and I'll just leave it at that. Just, just look at the other part of the, the, the schedule. But the way that our, our schedule is broken up in our conference has become so tough. And Army's a good team, Army and Air Force. Both of them are good. You know, there are many years the Army was down. But Army, they're a really good football program now. Air Force has always been good. We've always battled them. You know, all my years of being here, it's been, you know, us for the most of the time battling Air Force. Then Army's, you know, you know, had a resurgence. So you have the AEC. You have the other two service academies that are, you know, playing really good football. I mean, um, we were 20th. Air Force was 23. You know what I mean? I, I mean, when is the last time? I, Strassman, I need Strassman here for that, but. When's the last time that, that time that happened where two service academies finished in the top 25? And then one of our other games is the Irish, <laughs> who, who some people say they're going to be in a playoff. So we, which leaves us with one, John. So I, um, I kind of like the thought of playing a Patriot League team. You know what I mean? Just, uh, just to be honest, I just shouldn't have said that Patriot League people are going to try to kill us down, you know, uh, when we play them. But we, we need – they all can't be tough games. You know what I mean? It's just our, our league's tough. Air Force and Army are tough. Notre Dame's tough. You know, our one open one, I, I don't want to go to the horseshoe again. You know, the one open game, go to the horseshoe or South Carolina. You know what I mean? Just we'll, we'll kind of keep it there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'll tell you what, Coach. I, no matter who you play, I know that we're going to be we're going to be rooting for you. And I know that for you personally, you're hoping for the uh, – you know, for the social distancing to get relaxed here soon so you can get out there on the basketball court and, and throw some elbows, uh, <laughs> you know, as you're, uh, as you're running up and down the floor. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I can't run anymore. Coach, so thank you so much. half court. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for uh, joining us. It, it really is an honor. We know, that, we know that you're busy and you know you're trying to get ready for a season that really has a lot of a lot of unknowns, but you, you made some time for us today, and we certainly look forward to uh, we certainly look forward to talking to you more as we get into the season and and just keep a regular drumbeat reporting on the uh, progress of the team and what you're seeing and and uh, hopefully sing second sports can be a, a big part of the successful season with you. Well, I'm fired up for you guys. You know, thank you guys, and really excited for you guys' podcast. You guys are doing a great job, and hopefully, you guys get up there, Joe Rogan, man, get up the height. I mean, just. You guys are doing an awesome job, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it, Coach. All right, that was Coach Kenny Niamatololo joining Sing Second Sports. We are going to go to break, pay some bills, and when we return, we'll have our athlete segment with Diego Fago. This is Sing Second Sports.
If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us a DM at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. There are a number of national and local sponsorships still available. All right, we're back on Sing Second Sports. Awesome, awesome segment right there with uh, Coach Niamat. You know, r- really good information about how you know they've handled the pandemic so far, uh, how they're preparing for Notre Dame. You know, and what the team is doing to stay fresh and 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 get prepared for the upcoming season. So, w- what better way to talk about how they are staying fresh and getting ready for the upcoming season than to talk to one of the players? So. Very honored to be joined by Diego Fago, joining us from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Diego, how are you doing? Hey, John, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. So, hey, I'll ask the first question, and then I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Ward. And then, uh, you know, Bill Wagner, he'll ask you, you know, all the hard questions today. But I'll just start it off. Like, in, in, in the entirety of your life, did you ever think that something like what happened in March was going to happen, getting shipped home, quarantining, not being able to finish school the way that you wanted to, and then, and then doing classes online? How did you handle that? How did your teammates handle it? And then most importantly, how did, how did your senior teammates handle kind of the loss of their spring semester? I'm sure everyone can uh, agree with me when I say that. Obviously, this is a very surprising and thing that's been going on. Uh, This pandemic has really been uh, difficult to navigate through. It has been a blessing in a way, Um, just getting the chance to take time out of your day to to visit with your family. Um, Whereas if I was at school, I wouldn't really have the chance to do that. Um, I wouldn't have the chance to go to hang out with my friends at the beach if if it was open or whatnot. Um, and so it definitely has been a blessing in that regard. But at the same time, it has been difficult because uh, we are so close as a team. Uh, the brotherhood is so strong. And so not being able to be around my teammates and my, and my coaches, the guys, has been very difficult. Something that has, again, been been helpful and I've, I've grown in this regard is being able to motivate and uh, lead the guys from afar, you know, just sending that motivational text maybe or checking up on guys uh, weekly. And, and even in those uh, position meetings that we have, we're um, a lot more detailed than, you know, things that we're doing because we don't have it. We know we don't have as much time. We talked to coaches, as John said earlier in the show, um, and he described some of what the chronology is going to look like with getting back for isolation, conditioning into practice. You guys coming off a fantastic season. What are your concerns with dealing with this, as you say, weird circumstance that we've all been handed as you prep for the Notre Dame game? A concern of mine is obviously uh, not everyone has had the chance to work out and to lift and to run as much as they've as they've wanted. Uh, thankfully, I have been blessed to have a weight room uh, handy in my garage. Um, I know some of my close friends have literally nothing. So they have been trying to improvise with everything that um, they can. I mean, like just craziest things like, you know, chopping down a tree and, and losing, using the logs as weights to squat. And so it's definitely just something that's been uh, forefront in my mind about, you know, are we really going to be ready for this season? You know, are we going to be ready to play Notre Dame that week uh, one? And that's just one of those things with this whole pandemic and something that I've learned is you just got to control what you can control. 
you know, like you, you just have to do what you can in order to, Hey, you know what, at the end of the day, I, I did everything I did. I could. And, um, you know, I may, I may or might, may not like the outcome, but there, I couldn't have asked myself anything more. What do you think your in this unorthodox environment, your responsibilities might be with respect to getting on the step for the Notre Dame game, both in terms of getting people where they need to be physically, but also in terms of getting this team to coalesce in a way that uh, has never been done before. First and foremost, I got to get myself squared away. I got to be able to, you know, as, as much as Coach Niamont says this, I got to be able to do my job, do everything that I can for myself to help the team. And then from there, I can look beyond and try to help my teammate next to me. And I think that's the biggest thing is once I get myself squared away, I, I can help that guy next to me. You know, maybe he's struggling with a sprint or, or a lift or something like that, making sure that I'm encouraging him with everything that's going on. And you're right, I am a veteran player. And so some of the newer guys may not know some of the plays. And so helping them in any way I can to understand fully what their job is. So they can too, they can also uh, do their job as well. Diego, I think we would all agree that the two key elements of last year's dramatic turnaround were Malcolm Perry's play that bolstered the entire offense, but on the other side of the ball, the arrival of Brian Newberry as defensive coordinator. I'm very impressed. He's an innovative defensive coordinator doing a lot of really interesting things. Part of his strategy was to be more aggressive, but in a very disguised manner, keeping the offense guessing at all times. Can you talk a little bit about his defensive philosophy and how fun it was to play in that defense? Because you all made it happen last year. Sure thing. First and foremost, uh, Coach Newberry, I, I love playing for him. Great coach. Couldn't say enough about him. I think that him coming in this year has uh, really helped us, like you said, him and, and, you know, obviously Malcolm Perry on the other side has really uh propelled our team in the right direction. Um, I think that playing in this system is great. I, I really do love it. Like you said, there's a lot of disguises, lots of blitzing. I think at one point, maybe even at the end of the season, there was just a statistic saying that we were, you know, first in the country for blitzing on first down or something like that, which, you know, shows the whole entire country and every other team that we're not afraid to blitz. We're not afraid to do it on first down, second down, third down. So it is a very exciting defense to play in. And I'm just doing everything I can to uh, help the team win. But like I said, playing under Coach Newberry is very exciting because he does, you know, switch it up. It's not something that offenses can really get a beat on very easily. When I did my postseason debrief with Coach Newberry, kind of reviewing the season, looking ahead at 2020, one of the things he said that is, is that he is going to really feature you this coming season. He feels you're a special player. He feels there's a lot of things you can do. He said, we've got to, you know, we've got a weapon here and we need to use it. How excited are you about possibly an enhanced role and being given some freedom to wreak havoc? I know that's what you like to do. You like to push the line of scrimmage. You like to blow up the plays before they happen. But uh, I think Coach Newberry is going to take the reins off if they were ever on, but even more so. Your thoughts? You know, first uh, reaction, I'm, I'm very humbled and honored to hear so that he would even, you know, consider or even say that about me. And and I'm really not entirely sure his uh, his plans moving forward. 
Um, like I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I, I just got to do my job, you know, and, and whatever he says, and, and that's what I'm going to do. And even it goes to coach Volker, whatever he tells me what to do, my technique and whatever it may be, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Like I said, I really don't know what new things he has for this season, but I know it's going to work and I, I trust him completely. So I'm excited. We saw that Malcolm Perry was able to become the first service academy graduate to capitalize on the new Department of Defense policy that allows service academy grads to pursue pro sports immediately after graduation. Um, He's drafted by the Miami Dolphins and going to get the opportunity to play for the Dolphins. Uh, I have heard from many scouts that you are highly, uh, they, they think highly of your abilities. Coach Newberry thinks you have that type of ability, NFL ability. Are you excited about that prospect if it presents itself and the fact that the door has been opened now? You know, to be completely honest, uh, being home and having more time off, I have thought about it. I, I am very excited to uh, maybe have an opportunity. But at the end of the day, I'm still at the United States Naval Academy, and I still am the inside linebacker for Navy. I'm not that for anywhere else, for anyone else. And so I think just focusing on this season, focusing on my next steps and, and, the, and the roles that we're going to have to play moving forward with camp and even quarantine, just, you know, taking things one day at a time is, is, is my focus right now. Yeah, that's a, a great attitude to have, Diego. And Wags made a very good point a couple of pods ago that, you know, we had a couple of players, particularly on the defensive end of the ball um, that affects you, that, you know, entered the transfer portal. And, and I thought Bill made a really good hypothesis about the causality behind that, which was, hey, you know, every, every Naval Academy football player, particularly plebes and underclassmen, before they sign their two for seven, they're having a rough time. It's, it's just not, it, it is not a vacation. It's not a fun experience. What keeps them at the Naval Academy and, and from dropping out or transferring is the availability of their teammates and shipmates around them in the hall. What do you think the impact of COVID and the fact that everyone had to go home, what do you think the impact was on, on those decisions to leave the program? And then how do you assess those attritions uh, on the defensive end and how it will affect your defense this coming season? So I think first, uh, the guys that did transfer, um, I, think, I think they've had a little trouble, you know, um, with academics and even uh, the military aspect, what people don't really understand sometimes is it's not just about football. It's three phases. It's football, school, and military. So having all three of those things weighing down on you every single day is a little difficult. You know, it it is difficult at times and that's something that we sign up for. And so I'm not sitting here complaining about it, but it it just wasn't the right fit for those guys. And I'm not going to say because of COVID uh, they transferred, um, I'm just going to say, you know, honestly, they, they, they did what was best for them and, and we're just going to move forward, you know? Yeah. Obviously we're going to miss Jake Springer. Obviously we're going to miss, um, you know, Chalen Garns and, and other guys that may have transferred already, but it's next man up. You got to always have that mentality, that next man up mentality, because you never know who's going to go down. You never know who's going to, you know, graduate or, or even uh, transfer. And so um, I think it, could have the potential to affect us, but I know that my teammates um, are going to respond and we're going to adapt and overcome just like we do with everything else that we're uh, handled. 
or that we're presented with. And so I really am excited to see again, how we're going to react to this and how we're going to grow from it and be a better team and even a better defense uh, moving forward. Really impressed with your answers. Really appreciative that you came right from, you know, your position meeting to, uh, to meeting with the Sync Second Sports crew to, to talk. The season you had this past year, and I know that you have had a really, really rough time of it since, since beating Army and then winning the bowl game. Um, I know uh, David Forney's death and, and, then the, uh, and then the pandemic hitting, having to go home and, and handle the rest of your act year uh, the way that you did. Uh, was difficult, but we have all the faith in the world that you guys are gonna are gonna take this adversity and and go into the football season uh, that much more steeled and hardened, um, you know, by that adversity. And I think and I think we all believe that that's what makes the Naval Academy, um, you know, a bit a bit more special uh, than other programs. So thank you so much for making time of your day. Uh, we wish you good luck as you go through the summer and get ready for the season. And if we don't talk to you again before uh, before Labor Day weekend, uh, all the luck in the world uh, against Notre Dame, and and let's hope that you beat them you beat them back. Yes, sir. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it, and then uh, everyone else on the call really appreciate you guys. No, we appreciate you, Diego. Thanks. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. Hey, that was Diego Fago, uh, midshipman second class, entering his junior year, probably is one of the. Uh, one of the leaders, at least on the defense, but probably on the uh, on the whole team. Uh, we're going to head to break, and when we come back, uh, Ward, Wags, and I will uh, will take us out. You're listening to Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at We Sing Second. That's at We Sing Second. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back on Sing Second Sports. Um, again, many thanks uh, to uh, Vice Admiral Retired Derwood Curtis, Coach Kenny Niamatololo, and finally Diego Fago uh, for joining us today. We say it every week, but uh, I'm going to reiterate it. Really appreciate the effort by uh, not only the football program, but the entirety of NAAA and Scott Strassmeyer and that crew for, for making these guys available. They're in the throes of position meetings and, and getting ready for upcoming seasons. And, um, you know, it, it really, all you have to do is hear the words of Admiral Curtis and, and other alumni who are listening to this, who love the exposure to um, to these personalities, to these athletes, to this information um, in ways that they haven't had before. Uh, so, so again, really appreciate that. Uh, I'll throw it over to you first, Ward. What stood out to you today about uh, the guys we talked to? As you've described, the beauty of the way we've structured this podcast is we have three distinct narratives that the Venn diagrams of those overlap in a, a really unique way. Um, so. I think to hear an alum's perspective, one who's risen to three-star rank, uh, a, a an African-American uh, alum who in these times is uh, is clear indication of why equality should be inarguable uh, and why opportunity should be inarguable in our country uh, is is sort of a a side value of that conversation. But his era was sort of right before I got to the Naval Academy. And so 
it warms my heart to have him mention names of, of folks who were Navy great football players and in some cases went on to be leaders that uh, some of us served with during our time on active duty. So that was fantastic. Always love interfacing with Coach Niamatololo. He is such a calming presence. He's such a decisive leader, but not in a in-your-face kind of way. I think that's the beauty. Now, I've seen him on the sidelines, uh, you know, go high order, as we say in the attack aviation business. But um, he's, he's going to make it work. So if you're a Navy football fan, uh, you should be of good cheer that he will take this circumstance and put the best possible product on the field to face Notre Dame. Um, the prognosticators, including me, had our doubts about how we were going in, to go into last season, and look what happened. So, um, you know, stick around. And then certainly to talk to Diego, just like with every midshipman we've talked about, if, if you're an old alum who's beefing about how great things used to be and how bad things are now, you're not paying attention. And Diego is such an upstanding young American. Um, I know his, his ethics and morality are, are without peer in terms of how he goes about living his life. He really is a leader in and how he conducts himself off the field uh, with his midshipman peers and his teammates as he is a leader on the field. So to have an interface with him like this is just really uh, kind of a gift. So if you're a Navy sports fan and you're not subscribed to this podcast, you're absolutely missing out on information you can't get anywhere else. Here we are only on pod eight, um, and we have some great gets, and we're, we're uncovering information that's not available anywhere else. So, uh, you know, as we've said before, really happy with how things are uh, sort of evolving here. And as this thing gets its legs under us and, and personality, uh, and we're doing this all in an environment where there are no sports happening, right? There, there's no practice on the field. There's no conditioning happening. Insights we'd be able to get face-to-face are not happening. So, you know, just wait to see what happens when we're back to normal. It's going to be great. Yeah, we're hoping for the arrival of that sooner rather than later. And, and we SWOs, Ward, use uh, the term red and free instead of high order. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's no big deal. We're no, just a bit no, more operationally relevant. No, high order. High, hold it. Hold on. Swo <laughs> boy. High order is when it hits. Red and free. We... We fighter guys use red and free weapons uh, condition. Those two different things, right? Got it, got it. Yeah. So thanks for man's explaining <laughs> me uh, the the tactical world. I really appreciate that. That's I mean, I I tried to go from hot dog yellow to hot dog red, and yeah, see how it Ooh, worked out. It. So, so stop I'll, that talk. <laughs> so I'll take what you said, Ward, and actually pose a question to Wags. You know, kind of turning the tables on him. So yeah. Wags, you, you are exposed to these guys all the time. You, you're out there during spring practice, which obviously didn't happen this year. You're, you're talking to players after every single game, whether at home or away. Does it get old, the fact that these guys are not only smart, but they're men of character, men and women of character in all sports, but then you know, just, just awesome people on top of that? Like, Does it get old for you, or do you find that you're – that that your motor gets restarted every once in a while by meeting someone like Diego or another athlete who's just particularly respectful or particularly good or particularly smart? Like, how has it evolved for you? Because for 31 years, you've been talking to 
to, to, to men and women, particularly football players like Diego, how, how do you, how do you stop from getting bored at how awesome they are? I know that sounds like I'm a sycophant, which I am, but like, I'm, I'm actually very interested. Well, it never gets old. Obviously these are the best of the best. The, uh, creme de la creme of United States of America. And, uh, I, appreciate and am thankful that I get the opportunity to interact with these great young people that are going to serve our country so respectfully and so superbly. You can not help but like some of these guys, and I get to know them. I mean, a guy like Diego Fago, I'll probably interview 15, 16 times over the course of his career. Some of those will be very in-depth interviews. Some will be at Scott Strassmeyer's office where we sit in a room together, just me and him, and the interview goes in off course and we talk about where his background, et cetera. But, you know, I've gotten to be friends with a lot of former Navy athletes that I covered just because, and I'll tell you one of the latest, Ford Higgins. Uh, Ford Higgins, when I see him, hey, what's up, Wags? How you doing? It was fun when he was playing for the Navy lacrosse team this past spring because, you know, it was a different atmosphere than football. But, you know, I'll, I will consider Ford Higgins – you know, a, a little more than just a former uh, Navy football player that I covered. And I could say the same about Eric Catani. I have a, I will have a lifelong friendship with Eric Catani. Same with Adam Ballard. I could go on and on. Ram Vela. I mean, there are so many Navy athletes that I've taken a particular liking to. And it's because of what you said. They're just special people and you can't help but respect them. Very true. And I'll just note for the record that Eric Catani is also a PAO. So obviously there's a preponderance of evidence that PAOs are pretty awesome. So on that note, and without giving Ward a chance to uh, chime in and uh, disrespect that last comment, I will uh, take us out. Thank you so much for joining the uh, Sing Second Sports podcast this week. On behalf of Chris Cervello, our producer, Ward Carroll, our incredible golfer, and F-14 Rio, and Bill Wagner, who, again, I truly believe is one of the, the best sports journalists going, not just locally, but out there, anywhere. Uh, I am John Schofield. If you really like what you're listening to, please share this with your friends. Get it out to the rest of the Naval Academy Network or anyone who just likes sports and follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. And definitely like and review the podcast on SoundCloud. Uh, we appreciate your input. And uh, until next week, we are Sing Second Sports. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.